Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from former Endemolshine Northern Europe chairman Bode van Boosmans about his new role as chief executive of Amsterdam-based production company Newbie. And from Steve Wynne, chief executive of UK indie Strawberry Blonde, about getting through the pandemic and what the industry will look like on the other side. After leaving his role as Endemol Shine's Northern Europe chairman last year in the wake of its merger with Banerjee, Bode van Boosemans was named chief executive of Amsterdam-based production company Nubi earlier this year. He spoke to Michael Picard about the strategy behind the streamer-focused and talent-led company, how OTT platforms are changing the television landscape, and offered his thoughts on the spate of mega-mergers sweeping the industry and how it's likely to emerge from the COVID-19 pandemic. What a time to be, you know, joining Newby as as the CEO. Um, in March, you joined, didn't you? So, how how have things been for you uh, in the first couple of months? Well, yeah, great actually, right? I mean, it's of course a time to get to know everybody, and uh, but the good thing is about Newby, it's not like a huge organization if you compare it to uh, to Animal Shine, where I came from, uh, now now Bunny J. So it was a really great opportunity actually to meet everybody, and I've I've done that very slowly actually. So I've been on, I've been walking a lot so i like i like to do that right particularly now also in the, the well in the corona crisis and uh, limit the time at the office or not and not be in the office at all so i um i've been walking around meeting the people having the kind of conversation getting into getting into the organization and um and i have to say i've i've enjoyed every minute of it actually so it's uh, it's a great place and i've i knew the company of course from the outset and i i knew jeroen very well so i I, I knew from from day one that I had a great connection with him, and I and I think the truth is that that was also an important part of my decision, right, to to move over to Newby was of the chemistry that that I believe I felt with um, with Jeroen and the kind of personality he is. But I've now also seen that actually he attracts a kind of DNA, right, in the people around him. So in his core team, I can I can recognize the DNA, which I feel very much at home with. Actually, it's very open, very inclusive it's ambitious in the sense like you know everybody there wants to grow and, and conquer the world but and at the same time it's also uh, yeah so it's ambitious and also commercial in a way so it's a very nice mix of you know having a very strong culture focused on individuals creating an environment where people feel at home and safe and at the same time being ambitious and and have a commercial twist as well right this is not an art house production company but it's also a company that just wants to create big successes right, that people see and that that are being a success for the platform so uh, it's a unique combination and i feel very much at home to be quite honest that's um, so i can already say that so the, the three months now already feels like a much longer period and and for people who who maybe aren't familiar with newbie i guess outside of the netherlands and and northern europe where people would know you as well from your work at endmore shine i mean yeah. tell, tell us just a bit about the company because it's quite um it's got quite an interesting uh, mission hasn't it just purely focusing on work Working with the streaming platforms, whether that's in fiction or non-fiction. So, can you just tell us a bit about that strategy? And yeah, and, so it's yeah, yeah it's, so it's it's I, I would say it's really a, a talent-first uh, and on-demand uh, specialized company. And you know, the truth is, they they have sometimes also work 
support for for the for the linear broadcasters, but that was more by accident than than by, than by purpose. But it's also, and I think that the reason is it's a very young company, right? So I'm by far the oldest one. I'm not even on 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 the graphs, right? Because they don't have a category for me. So it's really it's between 18 years and 36. So this is a company that that is that consists of young millennials and the generation afterwards making content for that generation. So what this company actually has done is is they have followed actually the platforms where that audience is. So it's it's a it's a strategy which which has more let's say created from what it actually was doing, making the content for 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 that audience. And that audience was on on YouTube initially and then transferred actually to the yes for platforms. And and that's also now where where newbie is. And I think they are trying to be very true to that audience. So they they actually make what they feel and what 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 we can what, what they can make add value to and at the same time they are where the viewer is and then always based on one element which is uh, talent first and it's very much a network company in the sense that I've not seen any other places where there is so much connection continuously with new and young and upcoming talent and that's both on screen and off screen and many of the productions and the successes that they have start with you know thinking wow that's a really interesting talent they have a big kind of audience on the platform they're currently on there is a bigger story to tell we can make a story around that talent and in that combination they've proven to be very successful which if you think of it is also a very logical way and it's of course also other companies package talent as well so that is not unusual but it's a very i think it's a very natural way of which newbie has always done it and has always remained true to to that so it, it actually also Jeroen also introduced in that sense newbie is very much it's not b2b or b2c it's b2t it's really business to talent it's really being let's say the intermediary for talent to find a new audience and to find a new platform and that's where newbie comes in and if you look at you know where i'm coming from which is more from the traditional production companies well animal shine but in in all the various stages i've been there you know the the, the key focus is on the ip right creating the new ip um but the challenge for those companies is actually to get to get that connection with the talent whether it's new writing talent whether it's new on-screen talent uh, because of the size of the company uh, because of the focus on the ip and that's what i find very attractive here is that this actually is a, a place where the talent will come to out of itself and that that is that has twofold one is the focus and the other set is what i said is uh, the culture that is within the company which is very open very inclusive it it is all about diversity and, and inclusivity and that applies to the people that work there and that then also applies to their networks and to, to those connections so that is all interrelated so that's a very long way of describing what newbie is <laughs> which you could also boil it down to it's a content production company absolutely i mean what, what yeah. how would you describe i guess the the landscape then in in the netherlands and, and benelux in terms of streaming platforms because for a company to to sort of primarily focus on those platforms there there obviously is sufficient demand 
demand for new content from them. So how would you describe to us the landscape in, in terms of opportunities there? Yeah, and I think, I mean, I mean, the, the, the global trends you definitely see in, in the Benelux. And I think in a way, the Benelux is it's because it's a it's a relatively, it's a high connected, you know, territory with lots of uh, broadband internet connections. And, and I think the people in the Netherlands are generally open for new uh, elements. So it's, for me, it's not a surprise that Disney tries to test Disney Plus in the Netherlands because of all these these reasons. So it's a very crowded marketplace. And I think the interesting bit about the Netherlands is as well that RTL has a strong uh, asphalt player in the market as well with Videoland, which is competing with Disney for place two, I guess, in the market space. Uh, and it's getting crowdier by the day, right? So, of course, we had Discovery Plus. We have now um, uh, Nant, who is coming over, acquiring uh, the Formula, Formula One rights and Bundesliga and also looking for, for content. So I think there is a willingness in the Netherlands for the audience to buy multiple you know, uh, fees, to pay multiple fees for the platforms. And I know, I know because in, in like three or four years ago, you and I probably had to debate about what the kind of projections would be. Are there, would, would people be willing to buy one or two subscriptions or would it have more? And now it seems that people are willing to pay more and get three or four subscriptions. So there is a lot of demand and you see that also reflected within Newbie because we are we are really strongly growing uh, year by year. And I think it's also because, yeah, I think the, the, the customers know that Newbie is capable of attracting an audience which is yeah, not that easy to reach on any of those or any of those platforms. So I think um, that really looks healthy. That having said so, because of the asphalt context, you're also less limited to the to the territories themselves, right? So it's way easier to connect outside the borders um, uh, in other territories through Netflix or directly with with other producers. And so with, for for newbie with Heartbreak High, where we are um, co-producing. Which is a which is a license newbie obtained uh, and sold to to Netflix Australia in, in co-productions with Fremantle on the ground. And the truth is that I think because of the global reach of a party like Netflix, those kind of deals are getting easier and easier. Netflix knows you, knows what kind of producer you are, that you are capable of deliver to deliver. I think though it will remain important that you have also the local translation, depending on the type of content, of course. So we don't feel bad to the Benelux in that sense so we, we really want we really believe that we can uh, we can grow the content also outside the Benelux and I guess coming from Endemol Shine and, and being part of that merger that massive merger with Banerjee and, and seeing that yeah. and until you left uh, last year there have been you know two or three me- mega mergers have announced you know Warner and, and Discovery yeah. and, um, channels in France are, are merging and uh, Amazon are going to buy MGM I mean how, how do you see that side of the business you know this this huge consolidation battle taking place and and I guess you know maybe it was inevitable with so many streaming platforms launching that that the market maybe couldn't handle them and, and companies have decided to pull resources together I mean how, how do you see that side of the business playing out and and is that something that's going to continue do you think or are these just special deals happening at, at this particular time well that's a big question <laughs> well yeah so I think on the platform side I, I you definitely see that I think in the big US mergers that 
that you need to scale to be able to compete with Netflix. So I think um, because the investments are so huge uh, that I think scale and and so the consolidation is the only viable long-term answer to that. And, and that's also a trend I expect you will see on the linear side as well. Uh, it's inevitable um, because the, 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 the language-related markets are getting too, too small in that sense and the investments are only increasing. So I think on that side, consolidation is uh, will be increasing. You're not entirely sure to what extent you can see more consolidation, to be quite honest, because and there are not that many parties left. And then, then on the production side, clearly with, with Bunny J, but also with parts like Fremantle, you would see still some more consolidation. And I think that is, that is a trend that will continue. At the same time, I also believe that there will remain an appetite for the smaller independent production companies, because that is where those big platforms will get the access to talent that they will otherwise not not get so i think what i probably feel is for the for the smaller independent production companies there is definitely a, a, a healthy future ahead as long as you remain in contact with your talent and and if you have a, a strong niche that you are or, or you know something specific that you are servicing for the bigger companies as well because they have the skill and they can control their investments and they can they may calculate calculate risks. Uh, I think probably the scary bit is for those in-between parties, right? So what, what is it then? What do you add to the table? So I think that's that's probably where the challenge is. And that's probably, I guess, both on the production side as well as on the, let's say, on the broadcast, on the on the S4, on the platform side. So um, yeah, it's interesting. I'm not surprised actually that Amazon wants MGM. They are looking for that big price for quite a while. I think the biggest question is what, what what's in the future for Netflix? Will there ever be a combination where Netflix is part of and what will they acquire a bigger will they ever acquire production facilities or will they always outsource it or will they become more of a studio themselves Absolutely. I don't know and I think for me it's interesting because there is a lot of analysis on a party like Netflix right they have so massive investments and they will never go down right in a sense and and will they be capable of ever getting into a situation that they are cash positive right that they are actually generating cash so that that's a challenge right how will that evolve can they add more subscribers and, and increase the price and 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 how will that work out if there are so many other interesting parties next to netflix offering you know interesting subscriptions that will be the question in that sense i would put my money more on a party like disney which has more horses to bet on not only disney plus but also still the future film the parks and all the licensing work that they do uh but it's going to be interesting having said so i think you know but coming back to to newbie in this kind of environment i'm convinced because i've been into bigger companies and in that sense i have a, a reverse career right so i start with the bigger corporates and then i and then i come more and more entrepreneurial and part of smaller companies but i'm convinced that you need environments like this to attract a certain type of talent and you need places like this for that talent to find their their way into let's say this this marketplace so i definitely feel that that whatever happens there is a reason for for companies the size of newbie and you mentioned you know the current environment we're, we're kind of slowly you know coming out of this pandemic hopefully um i mean what, what in particular i guess for, for newbie 
but also for other, other companies around the world. I mean, what are the, how do you think the industry is just going to come out of this changed or will we slowly see things resume as, as they were sort of 16 months ago? What, what kind of environment are you, you know, preparing the company to, to sort of go into over the next six, 12 months? I think in a way, um, it's a good question. If I'm not entirely sure if something fundamentally will, will have changed. I think um, in a way, the essence of what we do is relatively straightforward, even though it's very complex, right, in the, in to, to, to do it. But the essence is that we package talent and stories and, 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 try to bring them alive. I think the fundamental change in a way I see is that the future is with the asphalts. So far it's clear and I don't think they have gained so much and I don't think that will that will change, right? So that dynamic is very clear and I think there will be a lot of pressure on the linear side, even more than there already was. So I think that is a trend that is, I think, irreversible and, 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 and that will only continue. So I, I would feel that on that side there is pressure and there's more opportunity on the the asphalt side uh, ahead of us and I think that battle for the next three to five years is out there and, and probably hopefully beneficial for production companies I think in a way of working but things uh, as we discussed will change fundamentally right? we will never go back to a working environment as we had which was way more dependent on face-to-face time and so the, the working hours and way of working will be very flexible having said so that was already the case for a company like like Newbie, right, which is different than Animal Shine, which is more traditional kind of setup. But a company like Newbie was already very, very flexible. Um, but I think that is something that will uh, that will fundamentally change. But that's about that's about it. The one thing for me that is something that I find, you know, one of the key challenges for smaller production companies is the kind of terms that are being imposed on you by the asphalts, right? Because they are, of course, global dominators, and which is which is the way it is, right? That's something that you need to deal with that, that, that impacts your entire rights compensation. But what I also find is that they, of course, have a huge focus on cash and that burden is put to a lot, large extent also on, on the production companies. And that, that is very challenging for smaller production companies. And you wonder if that is something that those big, bigger platforms actually should want in the long term, right? Because it, it, it makes the life of those smaller companies very, very difficult and um, yeah but in, in response so fundamentally the way of working yes I think in on the demand side platform consolidation the S4 platforms that will be the kind of winner out of this battle I also believe will is is irreversible and uh, will will be the case in the years to come and, and I mean yeah. just tell us a bit about what you have coming up um, what are your own plans for you know the, the business are you looking to expand in any way or, or what you know in terms of content then what what sort of uh, what's coming up for you next? Well, we, we have a lot. You know, you know what my key task is actually when uh, as as the CEO of and of Newbie is to to create a room and to create again a certain freedom to Jeroen and the team to have them do what they like do most, which is be out there, be in contact with the talent, drinking a lot of cups of coffee and and putting those stories together. And I think when you see that that Newbie is growing, which increases the kind of organizational demands and questions and, and, and 
things, let's say, a whole lot of non-creative, non-creative things. And I'm there actually to manage that and to create the space for the teams to to feel the freedom to to creatively do what they want to do. And so that is an investment. And that investment needs to be translated into more projects, actually. And that is something that that's something that we're currently doing. And there is also more focus in the team because we've been building up in investing in the team over the last couple of um, well years already, but also the last couple of months where there's more focus both on fiction and, and non-fiction. So that's so that's what we are focusing on. And there is a lot there's a lot in the in the in the pipeline for in in that respect. Um, and that is over the entire kind of spectrum, right? So it's both uh, non-fiction, it's non-fiction and fiction, it's it's content for for kids, young adults, millennials, but also a broader broader audience. There is also more focus within the team. Uh, we are currently doing a lot of a lot of fiction as well, but we're also focused on more entertainment, uh, dating, uh, and also slightly more focus on with the talent on board to see if we can also create more formats around it. So uh, we have Single Town, of course, coming up in the Netherlands, which is great, and and, and Heartbreak High in in Australia. So there is a lot coming up actually. Yeah, it's a company that is growing in a way double digits. So that's, so that's very interesting. And it's now up to me in a way to create the environment that allows them actually to manage that volume, but also to remain doing what they have always been doing, which is creating the shows. And it's quite interesting because one of the reasons for me to, to get to, to Newbie is that I want to be in an environment which is more entrepreneurial and less restrained by corporate structures. And I think the interesting challenge for us is that we remain very lean and mean without any protocol structures and still grow. So that is my uh, that is my biggest challenge and remain, let's say, have to complete full creative focus. But there will be some interesting projects, new projects coming up, Michael. Boda Van Boosmans, speaking with Michael Picard. Strawberry Blonde is a UK indie behind series including kids' music show The Playlist for the BBC and archaeological factual format The Great British Dig for Channel 4. Launched by Chief Executive Steve Wynn in 2017, this year the company's opened a new office in Glasgow and he spoke to Ruth Laws about how the business has navigated the COVID-19 pandemic, what the industry will look like on the other side and what needs to be done to improve representation of the nations and regions on and off screen. Um, I am going to have to ask a dreaded question about the pandemic. Um, I just wondered how that affected um, Strawberry Blonde and the UK TV industry as a whole and now what things are looking like as we tentatively exit out of lockdown. We were in New Broadcasting House, the BBC mothership. We recorded one of our shows, our playlist weekly music show, in the Live Lounge in Radio 1, where we used their studios. And last March, just before lockdown was happening, the week before Johnson announced, and on that Friday, when, when, which you knew we were going into lockdown, we said, I tell you what, let's pre-record four shows, and that'll see us through April, and we'll be, we'll be back in May, it'll be golden. We did pre-record those uh, four shows, but we didn't come back in May to NBH, funnily enough, because we were still in lockdown. And we were like, oh. And we had a weekly show. And we were like, how are we going to pivot from that? You know, we're all in person, you know, three or four presenters, um, guests in the studio every week, edits in the, in the office. How are we going to, in six days, 
because we've run out of shows, everyone. How are we going to change this? And again, it's my team. It's not me. You know, they're all 20-somethings and they're all like, we'll, we'll just edit from home because we can literally just pick up the edit suite, which is a, a Mac, and take it home. We can record the presenter links from their bedrooms and we'll send them a camera, um, a microphone, and they can do it that way. And we'll record our guests on Zoom. And who knows, if they're on Zoom, maybe we'll get better guests because we can get people from America. And that's what happened. So within a matter of a week, we managed to turn the show around that became all literally online. And it's made it a better show, the playlist. It's, you know, we have three guests a week now. We have lots of different guests from all over the world, much better guests than we'll be able to get in person at Radio 1. And that's really worked. And that was just through just coming up with a solution because we had to sort of get a show on each week. And I think we led the way at, at, at CBBC in terms of going, here's how it can be done on a on a limited budget and on a limited resource and on a weekly basis that we just have to get that show out each week. At the same time, we'd just done a pilot for Channel 4, for More 4, um, called The Great British Dig, and that went down really well. It was an archaeology show and biggest ratings for More 4 in two years and all very happy. And then pandemic hits and we're like, oh, that's not going to be recommissioned. And it wasn't at first. And then Channel 4 sort of managed to find some money for us. And during lockdown, we produced another four episodes, all wearing masks, digging holes, around the UK with Hugh Dennis. And we also had a comedy pilot um, for UK TV that was, uh, again, we'd had, we did it in Central London, but all sort of under lockdown rules and regulations. And now that's become a series. So... <laughs> I don't know how. There was no strategy at all. There was certainly no sort of like, guys, the pandemic's here. What are we going to do? It was just like, what's happening today? Oh, we've got the show to get out again. Dig's happening. Fantastic. Looks like the island is, might might go ahead. And we were just very, very, very fortunate. Oh, and all, amongst all of that, by the way, also the Live Lounge show. I should mention that. Um, get a plug in for the Live Lounge show, which won um, Best Music Program recently, which again, we're very thrilled about. So we were, we were busy, busy from my dining room, juggling three kids and they were often in lots of different zoom calls interrupting things they still do but through just sheer luck i guess and coming up with some quite sort of savvy solutions we we've been busy all the way through lockdown so very very fortunate i feel very very blessed and lucky that we haven't struggled in that way the officers are still there we haven't used them very much at all but we haven't had to and we've we've leased a new studio because we're not allowed to be back at bbc anytime soon to make the playlist so that's just opposite our offices so that's that's worked out so we've been very lucky but we've been one of the fortunate companies i guess there's a lot of people out there that have struggled i think there's a lot of indies i think it's been obviously very difficult for we have done our best to share information i've reached out to a number of other indies and said you know can you help us with this or vice versa and there's been a real sense of community i think perhaps not with everyone but certainly people i know in other indies that that people have helped out with systems or we're doing it this way how are you doing it or we're doing oh that's interesting oh okay can we borrow that yes you can can we use that information so there's been I think people have been again leveled in terms of of where we are and we're all in this together so that's been quite nice that we've had a situation that people have helped each other out and um, we continue to pay our freelancers because I just thought how awful you know you're our cameraman for our weekly show and now you've got you know we're using zoom we don't need you anymore so yeah we've been really really fortunate and I think as much as we can help other indies out we'll continue to do so and I'm continuing to have conversations with other people about sort of how we can share resources, how we can share offices people information but it's been tough it's been really tough for lots of people and you know I, where we go from here I don't know you know we're still struggling to work out how many people are going to be in the office how many how many people will need in different locations and how that's going to pan out and I don't know financially how to work that out and I don't know how it's going to affect future budgets I don't know it's going to affect future commissions it's a real unknown at the moment 
So we'll, we'll see what happens. But we've we've been we've been lucky. But I know how lucky we've been, and I and I don't take that lightly. I just wondered, um, has the do you think the pandemic has changed um, what programs viewers want to watch and what commissioners are buying? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. Well, I've watched a load of Netflix. I'm sure. I mean, in fact, my mum, who hadn't had Wi-Fi until last year, we got we finally got a Wi-Fi. Don't ask the question. Don't ask why. She suddenly found streaming, and that has just revolutionised her life. And so loads of shows she hasn't watched before i think the terrestrials have struggled i think there's been a a, a dearth of of programming coming through i think that with streaming you know you are able to watch you know what you want to watch when you want to watch and i think you know we all we're all guilty of watching box sets i think that's become even more apparent that because we had a bit more time on our hands to be able to do that rather than going what's on at eight o'clock tonight but i think there have been some some great programs that have been commissioned during the pandemic i think there's some really sort of interesting things that solutions that people come up with to make tv during the pandemic i think budgets have been even more challenging we've certainly sort of struggled on some of the budgets that have been given to us post-pandemic because of well all sorts of reasons commercial and otherwise but I don't think people's have people's tastes changed during the pandemic I'm not sure they have I think people are still people I think we'll snap out of this quite quickly I think we'll get back to normal I don't know when and I don't know what normal looks like but let's say by the end of the year that in the main things will be sort of relatively hopefully if everything goes to plan you know relatively normal again and I'd like to think in about a year's time maybe two years time we'll go do you remember COVID? You go, oh God, yeah. I don't think people's tastes have changed. I do think that commissioners will look at some indies and go, that's interesting that we gave you only that budget. And if you can make that work, can you do it again in the future? And there'll be other indies that haven't been able to sort of be flexible and be able to use those sort of budgets in a more economical way, who I think might struggle in the future. I'm not saying that the Endemols and the and the Fremantle as well are going to go under. They're not. Of course, they, they'll be able to adapt. But I think there'll be a lot of perhaps mid-sized indies that that might look at budgets and go oh how are we going to make that work because we've got this huge sort of team and we can't be nimble enough to sort of you know to, to be able to make that on a two or three person team because we've got all these mouths to feed so I think that might change things I think that's always been a problem for the mid-sized indies of having to get the returnable series with sizable budgets whereas there's a lot of stuff that's happened I think over the last year where there's lots of indies that looked at budgeting we can't we, we couldn't even possibly start to look at that because we wouldn't be able to make it work financially and therefore a lot of the smaller indies have been able to do those sort of shows and go look we can do this and we can do it on limited budgets because we, we're able to sort of use that money a lot more wisely we haven't got all these overheads going on so maybe that'll change you founded strawberry blonde in 2017 um can you tell me why you decided to start the company why did i decide to start strawberry blonde um i think because i finally got to an age which i'm not obviously going to disclose that i thought i could do things on my own i'd run a, uh, an indie before and had a business partner and I love making telly. I, I absolutely adore it. I don't find it a job at all. I've been very fortunate to find something that I've always wanted to do since the age of nine. So yeah, I, I set it up because I thought that I could do it finally. I had the confidence to do it and wanted to do it my way, which what's my way? I'm a plastic scouser. So I'm from sort of the Northwest, not quite in Liverpool, but just outside it. And I love yellow labels. I live for yellow labels in different supermarkets. I 
you know the times of our local supermarkets when the yellow labels come out. And the reason I mention that is I think there's a different way of doing TV that doesn't mean you have to swan around in black cabs and spend a fortune on 300 exec producers and this person and that person when it's like, oh, hold on, not, no job in TV is that difficult. It genuinely isn't. And coming from a background of no media experience at all and having no contacts at all, I knew there was a way to do this with a different aspect on it. So all my team, almost all my team are under 30. Most of them have not worked in TV before. Um, I hire on on personality rather than experience. If I you know, sit in the office with you and edit with you for 10 hours a day, I want to like you rather than going, oh, you worked on that program, don't care. Because there's a huge amount of untapped experience out there or untapped talent out there who just aren't given a chance. It's the usual sort of suspects to get their jobs in TV. And I wanted to not give something back. That sounds like I'm some kind of sort of amazing person who's you know going to rule the world in that way. But it's more to do with, I know that, that there are 20 things out there who've been doing it for 10 years or so, who are able, who are hungry for it, who love doing it, who don't have the usual blinkers on of TV or the usual expectations of, you know, I need to be revered in this way and I expect this and that. Actually, they just want to do the job and love doing it. So, God, that was a long answer, wasn't it? About <laughs> But yeah, no, I, I, I think we, we bring something different to the party that other indies perhaps don't um, and do things in a different way and challenge everything. And my team are brilliant at going, why do you do it that way? It's like, well, we've always listened. We've always done it this way in TV. It has to be that way. And they go, well, no, you can do it that way. And I go, yep, we can absolutely do it that way. I have no idea why it hasn't been done that way before. So it's been a fascinating roller coaster ride in the last four years of being told you couldn't possibly do that yourself when in fact you absolutely can. And you realize that the reason why lots of people say you can't do that is because they'd be out of the job if you did it yourself. And here we are. <laughs> I think that's really interesting. You said that you try and give an opportunity to people who wouldn't necessarily normally get the opportunity to work in TV because obviously that's probably one of the issues about it that there's a very specific type of person who's given the given jobs in television and that means there's so so much talent out there that don't get that foot in the door um, and they probably don't um, they're far more open to doing things in different ways as you said because they haven't you know there's not a formula that they've been taught and they stick to and also the references and everything about them so you know I'm from a working class family in in on the Wirral and if you if you've got parents who live in in the southeast of London if you've got a dad or a mum that knows someone and those those people you know 30 years on in telly they continue to get the jobs that hasn't changed and trying to break that cycle is really difficult because if you are in you know some far-flung place in the middle of nowhere even Liverpool or Manchester although obviously the BBC have made it slightly easier with Salford as as of other channels now and Channel 4 doing you know some sterling work trying to get it out of London but you know and in the main, if you're if you're from outside the southeast, it's really difficult to break into TV. No matter what background you're from, it's geographical as well as socioeconomic. But you know you've got to get into London in the first place, which costs two hundred pounds on a train, and stay in London if you're a runner or you know uh, those entry level positions, which cost an absolute fortune. So you sort of you know it's really unfair. But I mean we've got obviously you know the way that London works is the capital, and I get it. But giving opportunities or trying to sort of make that extra effort is really important. And I think what's been interesting over the last year in lockdown is that, you know, a lot of my team have, have gone back to their parents and they, they're probably going to stay there because we've realised that you don't necessarily need to be in the office with each other all the time. Yes, I miss them. And yes, I miss going down the pub and, you know, socialising. Um, I see them every so often. So it's not sort of, it's not so I don't see them at all. But the editors can be in Preston and Reading and Derbyshire. We can easily send data up and down the country because you can now 
nowadays. The researchers can be remote as well. So what's been great about the pandemic is that those barriers have sort of been knocked down. And I don't think any production company or broadcast can now say, oh, you're not in London. Sorry, you can't have the job. Obviously, there are things that need to be, you need to be physically there for if you are running, for instance, on a production and it's filming in London, of course. But it's been a real leveller, I think, the pandemic of, well, anyone can do this. You know, any, anyone can sort of, wherever you are and whoever you are. And we've we've hired loads of people over Zoom and I've never met them. There's loads of my team I've, I've still to meet, which is really interesting. Hope they're all right. So yeah, no, it's been a real leveller. And I think, um, I hope that continues. And I hope that those barriers are be are, are able to be removed. Yeah, I was going to say, sort of prior to lockdown, how well did you think the nations and regions were sort of represented on and off screen? Depends on the show, doesn't it? I think it's getting better. I think, you know, Manchester, obviously, production-wise, you know, there's been an ecosystem there for some time. Same with Bristol. Leeds is starting to happen. Obviously, Scotland, Glasgow uh, is happening as well. Birmingham, I guess, less so. How well are nations and regions represented? I don't think brilliantly in the main. I'm still the one with the northern accent. It's, it still feels that we, we've we've gone some distance to represent, but we've got a long way to go, and that is a frustration. But you know, the path of least resistance, right? I mean, if you've got a production going on, the budget's finite, the timeline is is tight. It's hard to sort of go. Well, hold on, we should be making the effort to represent here. We should be making the effort, whether it be sort of diversity in terms of color, but also in terms of socioeconomic. You've got to try harder. And it, it costs money. You know, I, I found it, you know, we, we are, crewing, we've been crewing up recently for a couple of productions and I found it really interesting and slightly frustrating that there are some agencies out there that charge, if you want to sort of get more diversity in your team, they charge for the search. And it costs, it actually costs, you know, a fair amount of money to access those databases, to access those people, which seems like sort of contradictory in terms of what we're trying to do. And I think we need to, as a production uh, sector, both broadcasters and indies, set more money aside to do that you know in the same way we have to for for albert for the environment aspect of things should there be a a line in budgets that says this is going to cost more money because it takes more time to find people that takes more time to sort of nurture those talent because it's really hard on a a tight production budget for an indie to pay for that but i think it's part of what we should do it's also part of what broadcasters should bring to the party as well but that then that conversation hasn't really happened there's bits and pieces happening there's bits of funds here and there to access but i think it should be the norm rather than oh we've got this pot over here. It's like, no, 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 we should accept the fact it's going to cost more money for that to happen and somehow find the money to, to make that happen between the broadcasters and the production companies. Yeah, I was going to say, do you think the broadcasters should perhaps do more? Because I sort of appreciate with sort of small indies, it's it can be um, difficult. Is there anything sort of the wider industry can do to make it more accessible? I think they're trying a little bit, but, you know, the, the idea of everyone setting quotas now and saying that your on and off screen team need to be 25, 20% and there's no extra money for it. We have got some pots here and there, but everyone's going for that pot. Good luck. Also, it takes time to get that pot. When do you want this production on air? Next week. Cool. We won't be accessing that pot then. So it is a frustration that it feels still that it's um, an exception, that you've got this situation where, yes, of course, we want more uh, representation on and off screen. And they've got quotas. And I understand why that is. And and I celebrate it. But then to turn around and go, we've got £5,000 here a year, or it's more than that, but it's, you know, £5,000 
pounds per genre, for instance, and every indie's going for it. It's like, well, that's not going to work, is it? Because we, we're all trying to access that money. And why is it in a pot? Why can't we accept the fact it should be part of the the actual main budget? That that's just what is just what it is. In the same way, we have to pay a levy to Directors UK because directors, for whatever reason, get a, an extra percentage for when their shows go out. Why isn't there a percentage or or insurance? There's an extra percentage on every budget or production fee. There also should be, I think, if we're really going to sort of make a difference here in diversity, there should be a percentage on each budget that says that's ring fence to ensure that you are representing on and off screen. That hasn't happened for whatever reason. But it's interesting what has happened and who has got those pots. Yeah, I think we can do a lot more. But that needs to be a conversation, a really open, honest conversation with broadcasters and indies alike. And, you know, I think we can both help with that. And why did you decide to set up an office in Glasgow as opposed to, you know, somewhere else in the UK? Well, we've got uh, we've got London <laughs> because hashtag London because you have to, I guess. And we've opened an office in Bristol. So uh, we have a sister label, Super Best Quality Video Productions Limited. I didn't choose the title of that <laughs> production company. That was Joe McVeigh, who's running that out of Bristol for us. It's our comedy label. And we already make shows for, for Children's BBC in Manchester. So we could have opened one in Manchester, but I think we've already got that bit of our business. A lot of our team are Scottish. Um, it's one of those things that we started with one and then they grew and grew and grew. And it made sense for Hannah Smith, who's one of our series producers. She was keen to return back to the motherland. And we thought, well, if you're going to go back, then let's open an office up there. So it was a, a lovely, uh, perfect storm of someone wanting to return to Scotland, a lot more things opening up in Glasgow, and it just made sense to us. It's a, it's an area that I think that we could do a lot more in, especially, like I said, you know, our, there's a lot of our team are Scottish, genuinely are Scottish, rather than sort of, you know, let's send loads of people up there. They're there already. So that made a lot of sense to us. But if, the, if you've had any shows commissioned that you can talk about sort of recently? So uh, the playlist uh, got recommissioned uh, for series five, which is incredible. And we hit our 200th episode in September uh, this year, which we're very excited about. So CBBC have been brilliant with us. And again, challenging budgets at, at Children's and they've just been great in supporting our show. And that's that's doing great numbers and really pleased with it. Great British Dig has come back for a second series. So we're shooting 10 episodes this summer. And it is the summer this time because last time, because of the pandemic and things moving, we had to shoot them in September and October. And um, uh, it's quite windy uh, in September and October. And it rains a lot, funny enough, especially in the Northeast where we shot a couple of the shows. Um, and Hugh Dennis looked like a drowned rat. So 10 episodes of Dig being shot from the end of June, which is exciting. Um, and then our new series for UK TV for Dave called The Island, which is coming out of our super best quality video productions limited company um, in Bristol. So that starts production in Pinewood again at the end. In fact, both of them start on the 21st of June because that date was chosen on purpose. But now if I think about it, we started two big productions the same day. That was a stupid, stupid move. And also I probably shouldn't have just uh, trusted Johnson. But uh, yeah, so that's a that's an exciting new comedy panel entertainment show which uh, has been really good fun to work on so it's uh, four panellists and our host Tom Allen is our host which is great and he's a lovely lovely man and we've got four panellists on who are going to tell us why their desert island is the best island to 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 live on and our audience will choose which island each week they want to join uh, whether it's because they've got the greatest national anthem or they have the best uh, cocktail or which film uh, which Eddie Murphy film they've chosen to be the national film uh, national Eddie Murphy film so th- that that shoots the end of the month so yeah we've been really really fortunate and really busy and but like i said that's a testament to the teams rather than me i've just, I've just been there drinking wine in the background steve Wynn speaking with Ruth laws 
That's all for this episode, but there'll be more from the podcast tomorrow. In the meantime, stay safe and up to date with all the latest international TV industry news and views by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening.